Welcome to the Hilltop United Methodist Church podcast. Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, quick pop quiz. Am I reading to you from 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians? There we go. Good. Um, if you see it in the Bible, when it says 1 Kings, 2 Kings, that means 1 Kings, 2 Kings. I'm going to be reading to you from what is officially the first letter uh, to the church in Corinth. But the reality is, is that if you, when you read through this, overall, you begin to think that there's possibly another letter earlier than that. Paul refers to his earlier letter, earlier letter, which we don't have anymore. We don't, we're not sure where it went, where, what happened to it. Paul was the founding pastor of the church in Corinth. Um, Corinth is down on a, it's, it's uh, west of Athens. It's on an area where you would uh, bring sh- shipments in from one location, transship the little bit of grease there, and put it back on another ship on the other side. Highly Roman, highly Roman, wasn't particularly Greek. Um, and they were converted, the, the people there had been converted, but it appears to be, and again, we're trying to figure out from Paul's side of the story, we don't have the letter that was reporting the situation to Paul, we don't have that, but it appears to be that the Corinthian church is continuing to behave like they did before Christ entered into their life. Now, in in this writing style that Paul uses, the order in which things are mentioned or addressed is often very, very important. If I, if I mentioned three names uh, real quickly, I'm saying the first name is very important, the second name is lesser importance, and the third name is the least important of those. And you have the same kind of thing going on with the nature of the gifts that Paul is talking about, which we think goes to the real core of the issue which is they're, begin, they're continuing to behave like the Corinthians of old, and in that old way, they're basically focusing on these gifts that they have as to what it does to make them better than everybody else around them. I'm Dennis Shaw, and I'm the preacher. I'm the one who comes in here with this gift of proclamation, and I'm better than all you guys. Well, you all know that's manure. Okay, you all know it's manure, but that's sort of the problem that they had. They were sort of focused. And when, you, and when I get to reading off the gifts, he'll start off with knowledge and wisdom, which I think Paul thinks are very important. And he ends up with talking about the gifts of speaking in tongues. Paul doesn't see those as particularly important. That's Paul, what Paul's going through. And he's, he's, in, he's talking to a community that seems, for whatever reason, to operate off the idea of this speaking in tongues is the number one gift. It's the exalted gift. It's the one that you get above everything else. It's the most important one. And what Paul is trying to say here is is that the gifts that you have need to be used for the common good. For the common good. And that's not my words. That's Paul's words. He'll he'll get to those. I'm reading to you from 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to start with verse 1, and I will continue on with verse 11 to verse 11. Greg, when I get to the portion that is verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, don't flip the slide too quickly, okay? I want to have my 
Well, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll holler up and say, don't go too quick. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever said, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but they are the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but they are the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, and that word activities could have been translated ministries. There are varieties of ministries, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. Don't flip the slide yet. Now, I'm going to ask you to read back with me. I'm going to say, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's, let's start there with that, to each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the individual good or the common good? Okay, next slide. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Starts off his list. This is important. And to, and to another the utterance of knowledge. Important, according to the same spirit, to another faith. Now, this is an interesting one because you actually believe that faith is a gift given to everyone who's there. But he, he calls it out. My guess is he's talking about the intensity and the breadth of their faith, not necessarily on-off kind of faith, no faith. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. Then he gets to the last of the list. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. He's sort of saying those are less important. Now he comes back to the real message, though. All of these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. This is the word of God for the people of God. At least from Paul's perception, there appears to be in Corinth an absence of peace. He's got a report. The community has come back and said these kind of things are going on. And Paul is trying to use his skills as the founding pastor to help get these kind of things reconciled. But the key thing is, is that they appear to be behaving in such a way that was consistent with how they behaved before Christ entered into their lives. Before Christ entered entered into their lives. They're just Dennis being Dennis, just Marilyn being Marilyn, just Bill being Bill, Enoch being Enoch. It's no big deal. This is just who we are. It's okay. Now, on the continuum of individuality versus community, I, I see the Corinthians here behaving in a manner of that it's all about me. You remember, what was it, Finding Nemo, where the, the seagulls come down and they, they, they're, they're, they're trying to get the food. What are they saying when they try to get the food? Mine, 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 mine. That'd be one of the most theological statements from any Pixar movie that's ever been created because it's a negative commentary on selfishness. That's what it is. And that's what seems to be happening inside this church some 2,000 years ago in Corinth. They seem to be all focused on me, mine, my gifts, yeah, 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 wine, wine, wine. 
Aren't you all glad that we don't have that in the current, current church anymore? <laughs> Doesn't happen anymore, right? Uh-huh, right. Let's talk a little bit about General Conference 2019. The Methodists normally get together every four years. We call it a quadrennium. It's like the narthex. The narthex is really a lobby. And so the, the Methodists get together every quadrennium. That means every four years. And this year, we're going to get together out of cycle. We're going to get together out of cycle, and we're going to try to figure out if we can reach some kind of common agreement for the common good on the subject of human sexuality. Now, for those of you that are not cradle Methodist or not, not following all of the things we're doing right now, in the current Methodist books, we say that homosexuality is incompatible with the Christian lifestyle. I, um, we, we say that there are things about pastors, what they may do and may not do, reference homosexuality, and there's things that can happen inside of a church as it relates to homosexuality. Those are, those are out there. And we're, we're seeing if maybe we, want, we might want to talk about changing those kinds of things because the viewpoint we have on this is running the risk of pulling the church completely apart. Um, and every time we get together on this, we seem to focus on, I need to win. I need to win this debate. I need to win this argument. And I hope that where we're going to go with this is what's good for the community. What is good for the common good for us to uh, explore this? Now, there's multiple plans out there. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't know what's precisely going to happen. But there's two primary plans. One plan is called the traditional plan, and it would take the existing words and it would make them tighter and tougher. If anybody violates those, they, they would be subject to stronger um, punishment than what happens right now. It's called the traditional plan. It's really the traditional plan on steroids. It's what we currently have on steroids. And then there's another plan out there. There's actually more than these two plans, but the two dominant plans seem to be the traditional plan and what's called the one church plan. And the one church plan seems to focus, we're going to move the issue from the national level down to the each local church level, each pastor. That's how we're going to solve this. So each, each local church can make its own decision how it feels about this. And I'm mindful of the fact that if the national church is not of one mind on this, I'm confident that Hilltop is not of one mind on this. But it's important for us to recognize that we, we need to have God present in that gathering. Now, this week, I had occasion in my extra duties for the Mountain Sky Conference to talk to the, T-H-E, the General Secretary for Finance and Administration in Nashville. He didn't talk long. He's obviously a busy guy talking to me, but it was about statistics. Wow, I love statistics. <laughs> But anyway, about statistics, and, but by the way, on Sundays in Nashville, Tennessee, he's a local pastor. He's got a little bitty charge, about 25 people show up on a Sunday. It's an additional duty he's got, but he's real proud of that church that he's, he's there, real proud of that. And we're talking about general conference, not a, not a whole lot of words about it, and he says, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen in late February in St. Louis with the general conference, but I know that God is going to be there. 
sound peaceful? Does it sound like it's a, a generation of hope, a generation of peace? I just think to Marilyn about this, and I was talking about this sermon and where we're going to go and how, we, how I was going to lay some of this stuff out, trying to get to a state of peace and things like that. And Marilyn listens to this, and she says, Dennis, I, I don't know where, God, where this is all going to go for General Conference 2019, but I know that God is going to be there. I don't know about you, but I get that kind of thing from the Holy Spirit twice inside of 24 hours. I figure I have to share that with you. God's going to be there. God is going to be there. And it's important for us to maybe just understand that our, our real task on this is maybe to take a deep breath. I think a couple of weeks ago I talked about one of the words in Greek that what it, we translated I think is meekness, but the word actually was something along the lines of don't take yourself so seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. Take a deep breath. And when we move from Hebrew into Greek, we, 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 we still take this Hebrew idea of what peace means. We bring the idea in there. And peace from Hebrew means wholeness, contentedness. I think that um, um, Eugene Peterson in the message called it serenity is when David read that off, the idea of serenity, being calm, just stopping and letting ourselves not take our own selves so seriously. Now, if we are really good Christians, I would like to believe that if we're going to focus on what does it look like, what does it look like to be people of peace, we might just want to go to Jesus. We have an amen there? We might want to ask ourselves, what does Jesus say about the topic of peace? Well, interestingly enough, he actually has something to say on this topic. He says in the Gospel of John, excellent Gospel, by the way. I mean, it's deep, deep, deep. You can read John every day for the rest of your life and still continue to get nuggets of truth every single day. But Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's explaining what his role is. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Wow. Can I have an amen? amen. That's, that's the task for us, is not to let ourselves be so agitated and crazy and whatever, because Jesus gives us a peace that's different than the peace of the world. Sometimes what the peace of the world is, it's this idea of it's the absence of conflict. It's this absence of conflict. And for some people, the absence of conflict is really not peace. We need to go deeper. We need to go to a deeper place than that and try to find what it is that actually is animating our anxieties. One, one writer made the point that sometimes following the real peace of Jesus is allowing ourselves to take the secret, unidentifiable, indivisible enemies we have inside of our soul and letting them go. Just let them go. And I would say the church, the big church in the sky, which helps all of us be in ministry, needs to, we, we need to be able to let those enemies go. Past hurts. Well, the, the church hurt me 25 years ago. And I'm gonna do, you know, oh, or it could be past anxieties. The, the church must change this way because I say it's the only way it can be changed. I, I'll confess to you, I'm not ha perfectly happy with the one church plan. 
I would go further than the one church plan. But at the end of the day, I think the one church plan is a pragmatic way of at least temporarily addressing the issue. Maybe we'll change it again in 20, 25, 30 years. But right now, I think it's, it's passable and it might be something we could incorporate across the church. So the invisible enemy that's here for some of this is it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough. I, I don't know. But I'm hoping that the people who go and that we who are watching all this can continue to pray for peace. As Moses talked about, Moses Kumar from Nashville and Maryland were talking about, that we can pray that the peace that is greater than all understanding, this Philippians idea that I've preached on several times in 2018, can descend upon those people there in St. Louis and then get to a place which keeps us as much as possible together. It's the idea of that kind of peace needs to be there. Now, these could be, if you want to look at the church, dark times. I, I know there are some out there who think that politically we're at dark times. I mean, the way things are going on right now, these could be dark times. And if anything, we sometimes have this tendency to think that the times we live in must be the most relevant as we're talking about these kind of things. I don't know about you. I'm a child of the South. I know you don't always hear it in, in me until I say something like, Jesus, then you know I'm from Georgia. Okay. But nonetheless, the Civil War was a dark time. The Civil War was a very, very dark time. The Bells played a, a piece this last Christmas that was um, about, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Now, I confess to you, I didn't know the backstory of that piece of music. I thought it was something British. I thought the British had given it to us, something like that. It was written by Longfellow. It was written by Longfellow. Now, we don't always sing all the verses that he wrote, but he wrote it for Christmas, 1863. Now, in the dictionary, under the word dark times, you'll find one period, December 1863. It was a dark time. And, and Longfellow writes these words talking about how it is that we need to remind ourselves about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then he has this verse, sometimes when you hear it played, they go to a minor key. To, to sing this. Then in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then the key changes. We get this positive atmosphere. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Even in that dark time, even in that dark time, a poet like Longfellow could still see optimism, hope, the fact that we can still be responding to God's word in such a way that we can help bring about peace on earth. I grew up in the South, I was born in California, but I grew up in the South, and I can tell you that every single day growing up in the Atlanta, Georgia metropolitan area in the mid-1960s had a dark element to it. That's the only way I can describe it. It was just 
tension and nastiness and, uh, and, and people calling each other names and dissatisfied with what was going on. But we got through it. And how did we get through it? We, part of how we got through that was by a man from Atlanta whose birthday we're going to celebrate and remember tomorrow named Martin Luther King Jr. And he, he reminds us, he reminds us that in order to truly, to truly become people of peace, we need to try to understand what the other person's point is. That's how we get to some measure of peace. It's not walking into the situation like the first Corinthians. This, this is who I was before Jesus. This is who I am now. This is who I'm going to be afterwards. This is just me being me. And what Martin Luther King would suggest to us is, is that in order to be able to be truly people who are going to help bring about peace in the world, we need to get to a place of understanding. Using our gifts to help be part of bringing that peace about. Everyone who's been here more than two or three times has heard me use the following comment. Way too often we listen in order to reply rather than to truly understand. What would Jesus do in the world? I think Jesus would quietly listen to those who disagree with him. And he would suggest that they need to be able to be people of peace. People of peace in such a way that it's peace that's different than the peace of the world. It's more than the absence of conflict. It's more than the absence of conflict. It's this idea of perhaps moving to a place where justice has abounds, where the world is made better by you being in relationship. Now, I think one thing I just love about the Bible is the fact that some people sit there and say, this stuff, does, this stuff doesn't speak to our day, our now. And I just sit there and go, what are you talking about? This book talks to us in our very now. But what's going on with the Corinthians? What's going on with the Corinthians? They're, they seem to be all focused on the fact that there's, well, we, we should be, let me start over again. What's going on with the Corinthians? There seems to be an absence of peace in the church there in Corinth. What's going on to us in our world today? There's an absence of peace in the church. The Corinthians in, in, in Paul's absence are behaving just like they were before they knew Christ. What are we doing now in the church? We're often behaving like we're holding our old value, our old traditions. The, the, the people in Corinth are hanging on to tradition rather than what Paul taught them. They're hanging on to tradition. And what are we doing sometimes? What is even the name of the plan? The traditional plan. It's this idea of the fact that tradition is so very, very, very important over everything else. And, and I would say that tradition decides that these are the four Gospels and the Gospel of Thomas is out. I got it. That's, not, that's part of the tradition that I think we need to endorse. But again, if the community called Corinth is over here on this pendulum between individualism and community, they still seem stuck over here on this individualism. And I would say to you that you've got the same thing going on in the big church in the sky, is that we seem to be focused on our own personal understandings of how this all works. Now, I'm a musician. I acknowledge that. And so sometimes musicians get into a world of where we understand community. It's, it's part of 
you, it's, it's hard to be a good musician. I'm not necessarily good. But it's hard to be a musician without being part of a community. You have to set yourself down and be prepared to be part of that community and paying attention to what's going on around you. I was in the Army for 23 plus years. The Army operates off of community, okay? One of the things we used to say was our, our name tags, there's no me, there's no me in Army, there's no me in Army, there's no I in team. There's no me in Army, there's no I in team. It sort of drives and focuses towards the idea of community. So if the Corinthians are over here focused on individualism, I confess my own bias is to, be, is to come out on the side of community. But at the end of the day, I come back to what Paul had to say. And Paul says that we have these gifts, we have this stuff that's been given to us, not to build ourselves up as individuals, but to build up the common good. To build up the common good. That's the task that's in front of us. Focusing on me, 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 my way, my way, my way, I don't think gets us to the common good. We have to be prepared to let that go. I don't know what's going to happen in St. Louis in 2019, in six weeks. I don't know. But I pray that Moses is right, that God is there. I pray that Marilyn is right, that God is there. And that's the invitation I give to each of you today. As you sit down tonight and do your prayers and pray peacefully and pray and look for this idea of how it is that we can help be part of this, pray. Pray. Pray for peace. Pray for peace which is different than the absence of conflict. Pray for peace which is, allows us to listen to other people, the Dr. King kind of peace. Getting to a place where we understand why it is that other people behave and see things the way they do. That's the task. You, you might ask yourself the question, what can I do? The answer is, you can be part of the fabric of prayer, the tapestry of prayer that's out there and being offered up to God and to help be a person of change. I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't know what's going to happen. But I pray, let me start over again, I don't know what's going to happen. But just like Moses, Kumar, just like Marilyn White, I'm confident that God is going to be there. In a moment, we're going to uh, sing a, a, a hymn. The, the, the background, the music, the harmony, the music of this will be familiar to you, but the words focus on Dr. King. Focus on Dr. King and what it is that he did. This is a man whose motive was nonviolence. But again, he, peace was more than the absence of conflict. When he entered onto the, into the scene, there was definitely conflict, no conflict going on. But they, the black community in the South was beset with dark forces, invisible forces keeping them where they were. Sometimes you have to move through places of conflict to be able to get to the place where peace really exists. And I would say to all of us, to all of us that that conflict needs to focus on an outcome that leads to a place of justice and reconciliation in all that we do. Please stand as you are able and join with the choir and, the, and, and Roberta. And Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services 
are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye.